So today we're talking about the mind, specifically imagination, a topic I talked about in my 35 Lessons episode on my birthday, and Tim Araneta, a word ninja and improv artist who I met here on Anchor a few years back, called me up about it, and that conversation is what sparked this episode. Hope you enjoy it. Let's begin. Wow, looks like another stormy, rainy day, but it's beautiful. Even better inside. Please, welcome to the House of M. Come in, make yourself really comfortable. We're going to be in the study for this one. Hey, Em, it's Tim. I just now got to listen to your 35 Lessons Learned. Really enjoyed that episode. It's fascinating. Um, I really appreciated your, your exercise with the imagination. And I am very curious to know in the next year when you come back if you have found any ways to work on your imagination. Um, because I'm particularly interested in this because I've always fancied myself as an imaginative and creative person and... Uh, many years doing improvisational theater where um, we prided ourselves on our creativity, spontaneity, and imaginations. Hmm, I'm going to think more about this. Yeah, imagination is a really tricky thing. We all have it, but sadly, many of us aren't using it properly. Not always our faults, though, because sometimes it's your brain through its own structure that is refusing or being difficult when it comes to maximizing your imagination. And other times it's your context, your culture, the people that you interact with, the language that you use. All of these might constrain your ability to use imagination. Like I said personally in that episode with the 35 Lessons, I know enough about imagination to know that I need to be improving mine. But maybe you, as being someone who has worked in a creative field, might know some tricks about how to help people with imagination. Or maybe, more interestingly, in improv, what are some of the things that inexperienced people do because I guess they're lacking in imagination? Like, what's the biggest barrier to improv that is stopping people from being good at improv? Em, in my experience, the biggest barrier to improv is self-imposed restrictions and self-editing because people are afraid of being exposed. Improv is always done, not necessarily always in public, but always with other people around, and people are afraid to fail. And so they will paralyze themselves, second-guess themselves, and shut down the first things that come to mind and try and grasp something funny or something they've seen another comedian do because they don't want to fail. They don't want to say something boring. They don't want to say something that doesn't make sense. So they just ignore their own impulses. And... I think it's really ingrained that people have this critical voice, this editor in their head, maybe from education or maybe from their parents. It's like, don't screw it up. You got to get this right. If I were to say to you, two plus two equals, you'd probably think four. It would pop in your mind. It's obvious. In an improv situation, these obvious answers people shy away from them they shut themselves down they're like well i can't say that 
it's too obvious. <laughs> um, even though that is what needs to happen to advance to the next thought. And people are afraid to be boring. And I think being boring and failure are two critical steps in building your imagination, right? You have to be able to image ordinariness before you can image something extraordinary. A lot of improv exercises have an external stimulus to get people out of their own heads. Like, every time I ring this bell, you're going to change what you just said. Or, you're only going to speak in rhyming couplets until I clap my hands. Then you can speak normally. And that is to get people out of their own heads and have them just do something spontaneous in response to a stimuli. And, and, and shut that self-imposed editor down. I will say, though, the best improvisation is not imaginative or wildly imaginative. It's spontaneous and in the moment. And the best things happen when you aren't planning and trying to drive an imagine, a vision or an imagination, but just reacting to what is uh, happening on stage. And so collaboratively, something is created that no one was expecting. Hmm, that's actually really interesting, Tim. And it actually sparks a few thoughts in my head based on just some of the history I have from learning about the human brain at some point in my life. I think I'm going to talk about imagination in a broader sense, aside from the wisdom that you've shared and borrowing from the wisdom that you've shared, actually. And I think I'll touch on structure, you know, why the brain does certain things which might restrict imagination and creativity. I'll talk about output as well. And I'll also kind of distinguish between creativity and imagination, because I think a lot of people think that those things are the same thing, but they actually are slightly different. So to begin with, the brain is kind of our secret weapon. Other animals might have giant tusks or physical size or giant teeth or speed or whatever it is. We have a brain and it gives us some major tools that allow us to have an advantage over other animals. Things like language, things like memory. I think imagination is probably the biggest tool that we have because it allows us to take things like perception, intention, information, and turn that into a narrative, turn it into an abstract form that we can use for our advantage. If you think about our ancestors having to deal with the elements and wild animals or whatever. Let's say one person sees a yellow snake biting another member of a tribe and then that person dying from that snake bite. That observer can then use their memory and their language to convey that story that, hey, if you see a snake like this, make sure that it doesn't bite you because it could be a bad day for you. And through the receiver's imagination, they can imagine that snake, they can imagine it being yellow, and they can imagine avoiding it. So that when they then see that snake, they're like, oh, that's the snake that John was talking about. I better avoid that uh, snake. So imagination allows a lesson to be internalized without the experience having happened. And I think that's something that, sure, other animals are able to do that as well. Things like primates and whatever can communicate uh, things which are um, abstract, but they don't do it to the level that human beings do. 
Now, this is where structure is really important because your brain is taking all of these complex structures of cells, which are doing things like perception, language, cognition, and all of these things, and it is trying to put those together and use those in a way that's the most efficient. And if you think about the history of our ancestors, there were periods where there wasn't a hell of a lot of food, despite what some people may tell you about noble savages who who were eating the paleo diet and had all of this nutrition and whatever. There were times where people were surviving off grubs or surviving off leaves or whatever. So your brain needed to optimize, or the human brain needed to optimize how exactly it did all these processes. And one of those ways was to develop a structure which is really quite selfish and efficient when it comes to resources. So I think a good way to think about it kind of abstractly is to think of a city. It needs to have things like schools and factories and supermarkets and landfills and all of that. And all of those things need to be connected in order for the city to be great and efficient. You know, homes need to be near schools, factories need to be near warehouses, and all of all of those things end up being connected by roads. And because of things like load and capacity and whatever, some of those roads might need to be highways, whereas others might need to be little lanes. How the city is structured is ultimately dependent on what that city needs to do, who lives there, what are their requirements. Port cities have to be very different from mountain cities, for example. And the same is true for your brain. When your brain is young, it doesn't have any strong established pathways. Fine, there's things like pain centers and memory centers and language center and all of that, but they're not optimized because you're not you haven't developed your personality, you haven't been slotted into a community yet, or you haven't realized that you're part of a community yet. But as we develop, the requirements of our environment then determine how those neural pathways are being developed. So if you think about two individuals, one being in a community which is predominantly deaf, so they use sign language, and another who is in an environment where language is predominantly spoken, sure, both of them have language and a language center that needs to be connected to all these different things going on in the brain, but their their pathways will develop really differently. The one who is in a sign language environment would need to understand the inference of, um, of body language, for example, whereas the person who is in a spoken language community will need to understand the perception of, you know, the sounds which are coming at them and maybe the subtleties that are in someone's tone and all of that. So we develop our neural pathways based on the demands of the environment. It's kind of like a muscle, that your brain gets better at tasks that is asked to do repeatedly, and those demands come from the society we're in, and the personality that we develop, and the, and the skills that we are forced to develop a lot of times, or the, or the competencies that we develop by ourselves. So this process is actually very energy intensive. It's just like weight training. It doesn't take a day for you to grow muscles, so it doesn't take a day for you to create neural pathways. It takes time, takes a lot of energy, and your brain needs to kind of make sure that, okay, do we really need to make this pathway? Is it something that's repeatedly happening? Is it something that we need to optimize for? And this is where the restriction of structure comes in. Your brain might be really interested in novelty, but it doesn't readily adapt to it. It makes evolutionary sense, I suppose. Your brain needs to be able to notice the yellow snake when it pops up, 
but it doesn't necessarily want to confuse a yellow worm for a snake. So we learn really cautiously and slowly. Our brains are very selfish in how they're developing the complexity. But at the same time, this is what allows us to have a solid um, personality and allows us to hold on to skills and competencies or whatever. So what you're losing in terms of that adaptability, you're gaining in terms of the fact that there is a staticness to what is in your memory and in your skill set and all of that. So this holds true for your imagination. It only really grows when it needs to. Thankfully for a lot of us, because we went to school and there's a lot of abstraction that is required in in school, whether it's understanding problems or stories or in devising solutions or being creative, we're required through a pretty long education path for most of us to be imaginative. And so we develop some really solid imagination then. And obviously the stuff which might be happening at school or stuff which is happening on TV, which is also helping to develop your imagination. But sadly, for a lot of people, after you finish school, you get set into a routine, whether it's, you know, work and home or family and community life, whatever it is that your brain is required to do during that time ends up being turned into a habit. And I guess it is kind of a deliberate thing that your brain wants to do that because it wants to conserve those resources. So it forces you to go into this habit. And so many people, when they become older, are just stuck in their ways. And we talk about things like you can't teach uh, an old dog new tricks or, like I said, people being stuck in their ways. And it's just a structure thing. Your brain is looking to keep the best structure to be able to get you through life without dying. But it doesn't want any sudden, sudden changes. It doesn't want to be adapting all these new things. It just wants to create a nice, safe groove. Now, the second thing about this whole imagination thing is the almost paradoxical relationship with being creative. Now, like I said before, many people will assume that creativity and imagination are the same thing, but there's a very important difference. So put simply, imagination is the ability to use your cognitive functions to create things which are abstract, things which are a narrative, scenarios, to test them out, to do all this stuff in your head. Whereas creativity, on the other hand, is the ability to create a certain quality of output from this ability to be imaginative. Think of it like the difference between being able to turn sounds into words versus the ability to sing. So the ability to turn sounds into words is just an ability, whereas singing is having to understand how those sounds form into words and how those words form into melody or into storytelling or whatever it is that you're doing in your form of singing. So it's the same thing, imagination versus creativity. Subtle difference, but a lot of people end up thinking it's the same thing. And we can think of it in terms of the city example again. So an imaginative, a really imaginative city planner would take every consideration of what that city is supposed to do, like I was talking about before, whether it's a naval city or it's a mountain city or it's a city that is between two other cities, the planner would think about who's going to be living in that city, who's going to be working in that city, what are the buildings supposed to be like, what are the roads supposed to be like, and they make the city that works seamlessly. Whereas a creative city planner might be someone who would develop something like 
an old classic European city. So sure, it's really, really beautiful, but the streets might be too narrow. The services don't work, like the sewer systems or whatever. Just think of what happened recently with the fires in Greece, where those mountain villages are really, really beautiful. But when it came to an emergency such as a really extraordinarily aggressive wildfire, that city ends up being a death trap for so many people because it wasn't designed for a fire and for people to be needing to escape uh, with low visibility. So when we think about Tim's challenge about 2 plus 2 equals, that's actually a creative challenge. And in improv, the primary challenge in being creative in improv is the ability to adapt, not necessarily the ability to be funny. So if you get stuck in 2 plus 2 equals something funny, you are not being creative in terms of improv, but you're challenging yourself to be imaginative. So if you want to get better at improv, what you need to get better at is adapting to whatever the stimuli are, just like Tim was saying, that you might be given a word or you might be given a sound that's going to cue a change in how you adapt to certain things. So if you improve your ability to adapt, over time, those neural pathways will develop so that you're better at being adaptive in that improv situation. And then when you're better at doing all of that stuff, that's when you can consider being funny. I want, I'm just curious, like, so you get an idea, and I know yeah. there's no real um, answer to this, but you get an idea. How long, on average, do you feel till it's done? Till you go, that, I got that to where I wanted it. How long would you say? Like, well, I, the first month, you know it's not going to be as good as after six months. No, and it, there's a weird, almost fruit-like cycle to it because it gets ripe and then it starts rotting a little bit for me sometimes. Right. The people that write about comedy, and I know it's not their business, the, the critics, but they should understand what an act is. When I go to yeah. see somebody work, I don't want to see your new hour. I do. I want to see the act. See, this is this is the, the this is the eternal argument between him and I that we've but been, yours yeah. we've been, ha the we've been act. having this discussion <laughs> yeah. literally. Well, because what is it? I have the same feeling because I do, do. I throw away my act every year. I, I do. I yes, do so a hour do I. and I throw it away. I never. Oh, I never. Well, it's oh, a, right, a, can we get some real? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. You know, every year I get rid of, I don't know, 10 or 20 percent, and I add, and so, so it's every five years or four years. I don't, I don't right. really keep track of it. Right. But I do feel like there are those core things. But you don't work like that. You like to create a show, I, and that's the show. I like a whole But those new 200 show. shows you do, what did you say, 200 or 600? Well, 200. Okay, so by the end of that, that's an act. That's an act, and that's ready for HBO if, right. they, if they want it. And, uh,. Bye. But you must be coming up with stuff oh, all the time, yeah, and you, yeah. yeah. And you, but you, so you gradually evolve the act. You do new stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. So I you, like to keep evolving it. Like Jack Welch ran GE. Every year he fired the bottom ten percent. Right. That's the way. What's I do your it. oldest? How old is your oldest stuff? Like is it like sourdough I, bread that there's always no. A piece I for ten years. Ten years. Yeah, I've been doing sucks in grade ten years. Now, Jerry Seinfeld is considered one of the most creative comedians of his generation, yet his approach, by his own description, is actually quite unimaginative. But then again, creativity is driven by expectation. We all expect a comedy show 
to have really well delivered jokes. So being creative for Jerry is developing ways to deliver his material better. It's not necessarily in developing new material every time that he performs. Same applies for other creative artists, tattoo artists who only do flower tattoos, songwriters who only write love songs, dancers who spend years dancing the same routine on Broadway. The more you do it, the more people appreciate what they call a creative talent, even though it might not actually be super imaginative. And it's not to say that they're not imaginative at all. They are actually very imaginative, but it's just that they are only as imaginative as their craft will allow them to be. So if, if the craft doesn't demand more of the imagination, the imagination isn't going to improve. But their imagination is going to help them to become more creative in that craft. Now, you may be tempted to ask, so what's the point of being super imaginative? If creativity is rooted in society and society is the one that is determining what they value within a creative space then you might as well just find something you're good at whether it's singing or telling jokes or being a cool person or whatever and then just do that and just get better and better and better at it over time and yeah for some people cool you can do that but imagination goes way past just being able to be creative because imagination is what allows you to be a better person so i'll give you an example a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago there was a politician in russia who in talking about the world cup of soccer which was just about to happen she turned around and she said that russian women should not be having sex with foreigners because in the past when there was a major soccer event, I mean, a major sporting event, which was the Olympics, a lot of women ended up having sex with foreigners. They got pregnant, they had children, but then those foreigners left and those women were left with these children and those children ended up having a hard time because Russia is apparently or allegedly a country which is very xenophobic. It's very anti things that are different or people who are different. So those children had a hard time. So she was saying, you know what, let's not have more kids who are going to have a hard time. So just rather don't have sex with foreigners. And then obviously it ends up being a headline of listen to this racist leader in, in Russia. And I'm like, Maybe, look, it sounds really ignorant, but maybe it wasn't racism. Maybe it was just a lack of imagination. Because if I think about it, she used her imagination in order to come up with that assumption and then that statement. Her memory told her the history of the Olympics, which happened, and then the fact that there were these children. And maybe she might have in, even interacted with some of these children and heard the stories of how horrible it was growing up in Russia with people being super negative and how painful it was and all of this stuff. And she's thinking, you know what, maybe the compassionate thing to do would be for us not to do that. But that's because in the bounds of her imagination, she can't see past what has happened in the past. Her imagination doesn't allow her to think broader than that. So if she was more imaginative, she might have framed it in terms of safety. So she could have said, for example, 
okay, Russian women understand that foreigners are coming here and they're here to appreciate everything about Russia, including the beauty that is the women. And look, things happen, whether it's a celebration mood or people are drinking or you just genuinely have a connection with someone that you meet who has come from far away. Now, because you never know what's going to happen, you should be fully prepared all the time. So carry condoms with you, walk around in groups, make sure that your friends know where you are, all of that sort of stuff. And it would have turned into a public safety message where she's encouraging safer sex, which is seen as a more positive thing. And people would have been like, you know what? Cool. And the the end result would have been the same as what she said, which is that women would not have had unprotected sex with foreigners and that would have resulted in less pregnancies and would have resulted in less of what she didn't want to happen. Now, if she was even more imaginative, what she might have said was, you know what, we live in a world where so many nations are becoming really closed-minded and they're saying that we don't want foreigners here, we don't want these people bringing whatever it is that they're bringing, which we don't identify with. We want more of the same. But we as Russians are completely different. We are a huge nation of so many people and we're welcoming and open. So when foreigners come, you should welcome them, whether it is just in terms of being friendly and guiding them or whatever, or it's as far as having a relationship with them. That would have been a hell of a lot of imagination for her to do that because it would have been thinking past the historical context, thinking past the current perceptions of Russians being closed-minded and all of that, and creating a new hope of Russians being um, an accepting nation to foreigners and and immigration and all the stuff that the rest of the world, or at least Europe and America, are super, super negative towards. And that might have actually positioned Russia in such a positive light for a lot of nations who have never thought of Russia as being an open place. But all of that would have taken imagination. So that's not necessarily a creative output. She is not being a creative person. Politicians aren't necessarily creatives. But to be able to think that, hey, I live in a country which is getting a lot of negative press because of things like hacking and because of alleged election tampering and all of that sort of stuff. Maybe we need to change the narrative and become the super, super friendly country so that people would think, oh, Russia would never do that because we're such a great nation. But that's imagination. That's what, if you have a good imagination, that's what it allows you to do. It's more than just being able to be funny on a stage. It's being able to be a better human being. So then you might say, okay, you've convinced me. Maybe imagination is a good thing. So what do I need to do in order to improve my imagination? And I would say, hmm, I don't actually know. <laughs> not nearly as bad as that. I do know a couple of things that you can do, but I am definitely not an expert in terms of how to create the a bulletproof imagination or like the ultimate imagination. But what I do know are a couple of things that you should try one of them being something that I had mentioned in the 35 lessons anyway, which is that you need to learn another language, especially if you're a person who only knows one language. It is important. So if you speak only English, it is important for you to learn another language because 
language is what holds a hell of a lot of what's going on in your head. So whether it's your memories or it's your comprehension or it's your ability to compose things, you use language for that. And when I say language, I mean in the broad sense of language. So I'm not just talking about English or Hindi or Japanese. I am talking about Java. I am talking about sign language. I am talking about body language. There's so many other languages that you can learn. Being able to program, for example, programming is done in a language, but the logic of that is very different to to just an ordinary language. So just being able to be someone who, fine, you speak just English, but then now you're able to program a website or you're able to program an app or whatever, it's definitely going to allow you to be a hell of a lot more imaginative because you've just changed how your brain perceives abstract things of which apps and all of that sort of stuff starts off as being really abstract. So it's not necessarily that you have to learn a spoken language. You can learn a completely different language, a computer language, um, a body language. All of that counts as language. So go out there and learn one. It will take time. Like I said, it'll take you at least a year for you to be reasonably good at it, but it's worth it. And another thing is exposure. And this one is kind of an easy one because of the fact that we have all this access to information. So if you're one of those people who you watch a hell of a lot of Netflix, for example, just expose yourself to stuff from somewhere else. So if you predominantly watch stuff that is French, maybe start watching stuff which is German. If you watch stuff that's predominantly Japanese, maybe start watching stuff, stuff that's Australian or Brazilian or South African or American or whatever, something different to what you usually watch all the time and make sure that every week you're watching a different thing. And even if you have to read subtitles or you have to watch millions of episodes of background in order to understand what's going on, all of that is going to allow you to understand another culture differently, which is definitely going to expand your imagination because you will need your imagination in order to understand what another depiction of a creative art is. You're going to need your imagination to do that. So those are two very practical and long-term exercises that you can engage in, learn a new language, start watching or reading different stuff from people who are totally foreign to you. It'll definitely change the way you imagine the world, the way you see the world, the way that you experience the world, which at the end of the day will make you a better person regardless of whether it makes you creative or funny or any of the things that people really wish that they were when they think, oh, I want to be more imaginative. But it might actually make you creative as well. But at the very least, it'll make you a better person. Now, I feel I need to make a special mention about drugs or narcotics <laughs> or hallucinogenics because a lot of people also have this misconception that if you take certain substances and have certain experiences that's going to allow you to be more imaginative or creative now it might make you output very creative things so there are a lot of people who are artists or singers or whatever it is who are able to output some really cool ideas because of the fact that they took certain substances or drugs or hallucinogenics or whatever it is but understand that drugs will not 
expand your imagination. They can help you to have more creative outputs, but they definitely will not allow you to have better imagination. And the reason that is, is because drugs historically are more a shamanic thing, right? It's spiritual stuff that you're connecting with when you're doing drugs. It is not imaginative things that you're doing when you're taking drugs. But because of the context of what creative arts are, a lot of things which are shamanic or spiritual in nature are considered really creative. So that's how you can take drugs and have really great music that you make or really great art that you do. And people are like, wow, you're so creative. Oh, you're so imaginative. And it's like, yeah, they outputted something which is really, really creative. They might not necessarily be super imaginative. Whereas if you do imaginative exercises and grow your imagination, you can still output those super creative things and you don't necessarily have some of the negative effects that drugs might have, such as addiction and dependence and losing all your money, losing friends, all of that sort of stuff that might happen, or like loss of brain function and all of the stuff that might happen because of the drug that you're taking. I'm not saying all drugs do that, but definitely some drugs do. So do those exercises and see if they work out for you. If you've got other ways that you know of developing imagination, please do call in. I'd love to hear your insights and your experiences and your tools that you use to improve your imagination or even your creativity as well. But I hope these two will help you. And over time, as I develop my own ability to improve my imagination, I'll also post some stuff here on Anchor. But thanks for listening. Till next time. No, seriously, I loved it too. It was really great having you here. Great energy, great focus. And maybe next time you get to see another room in the house of M. Anyway, bye now. Seriously.